Welcome to the Toronto Today podcast. Great to have you in on February the 17th, heading into a family day weekend, but it's Thursday today. Uh, two big political heavy hitters. We'll talk to federal NDP leader Jugmeet Singh about the Emergencies Act, why he's reluctant to support it, what would make him and the NDP pull their support. We'll put him on the spot and ask him what he's watching carefully over the next several days uh, in something that should be a very short-lived process. That has to be the hope anyway. Uh, Ontario Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca on where we're going in this particular province with vaccine mandates and passports. His party advocated for the change of a definition of a fully vaccinated person from two shots to three. They're pulling back on that now. Why is that? We need to get that question answered from Stephen Del Duca today as well. Lots coming up. We're glad you're with us. The Toronto Today podcast starts now. Let me start here. Um, inflammatory language. What is that? What is that inflammatory language? Well, members of parliament were reprimanded for it during question period in the House of Commons yesterday. That's not all that unusual. Okay, it's not. Sometimes you, you know, think about the amount of times you wouldn't even know it and I wouldn't even know it. Even doing what I do, I wouldn't even know it. And we wouldn't even make a deal or a fuss about it or a kerfuffle, which is bigger than a fuss, when someone gets kicked out of parliament, if that were to happen. But responding to a question from Melissa Lantzman, the conservative MP, and uh, she's, a, she's a fixture in the Toronto area. You've probably heard her, seen her. You know who she is. Um, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau went a place where I, I can't believe he had the temerity to go. I can't believe the exchange. I want you to hear the exchange. And uh, I don't doubt that the House of Commons Speaker, Anthony Rhoda, was referencing Trudeau. There's only one person that was using inflammatory words uh, in the chamber. And keep in mind, as we play this for you, Lanceman is Jewish. Keep in mind that. Here's the exchange. Conservative MP Melissa Lantzman, followed by the prime minister of our country. Optimistic, hopeful vision for public life isn't a naive dream. It can be a powerful force for change. If Canadians are to trust their government, their government needs to trust Canadians. Those are the words of the prime minister in 2015. These people, very often misogynistic, racist, women haters, science deniers, the fringe. Same prime minister six years later as he fans the flames of an unjustified national emergency. So, Mr. Speaker, when did the prime minister lose his way? When did it happen? Conservative Party members can stand with people who wave swastikas. They can stand with people who wave the Confederate flag. We will choose to stand with Canadians who deserve to be able to get to their jobs, who be able to get their lives back. These illegal protests need to stop, and they will, Mr. Speaker. including the honorable right honorable prime minister to use words that are not inflammatory in the house and that's for both sides i can't abide by that i can't support the prime minister doing that um if you tell someone who is jewish that you stand with people who wave swastikas that's a problem and uh the swastika was a problem for the conservative party in terms of supporting the protesters opening weekend Three. This would be three weekends ago coming this weekend. We saw um, Michael Cooper, a conservative MP, standing with 
a picture of a swastika on an upside down Canada flag behind it. And this was the issue with 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 where you were going to meet. Remember way back when Aaron O'Toole went and met with protesters on the Friday before things really got going in Ottawa. But it was sort of in a back alley. It was away from the scene. It wasn't all the scenes we saw on that Saturday. And you remember that Saturday just like I do. There's people parking, you know, um, parking their cars at the Cenotaph. There's the dancing on the grave of the unknown soldier. There's the Terry Fox statue issue. You remember all this. This is, we're, we're 19 days out of this now. But if we're going anywhere, if we're getting anywhere, that's the kind of divisive language I don't know how anyone can support from the prime minister. And it's tearing the fabric of our political discourse apart. That's for sure. Now, now, let me say this. This isn't to defend Prime Minister Trudeau here. He doesn't need me to do it. By the way, 289-975-1640 on text, 289-975-1640. Does Lanceman's party have people standing with people who um, have wanted some really whacked out concepts to transpire during this protest? Yes, that's true. Okay, I don't know. There's no doubt that Lanceman, if Lanceman is as strong as she comes across towards Prime Minister Trudeau, should be taking some of her own party to task for what they have embraced. Some of them. Okay, over 19 days, we have to have mature conversations. We have to look at nuance and balance and gray area. It's all I want to do. I don't I, I say it every day. I don't have any time, any tolerance, any bandwidth for uh for being uh, a political partisan because then you become a you know in essence a a you know a hack if you will if you're me you you can't i can't have that i can't feel that way i can't put my when you put your pillow on the head at night and you know this as well as i do you're by yourself doesn't matter who you're beside it doesn't matter who's in the other rooms it doesn't matter where your kids are where your parents are you gotta own you you have to own you and Lanceman takes Trudeau to task, and she's right for doing it. That's now like a like a famous question to really put. Remember, Doug Ford did this to great extent, and I give him full credit in the debate. He said the Kathleen win during the 2018 provincial election debate. Kathleen went, you know, you, you accomplished some things, but when did you lose your way? It's a great thing to push towards a politician because what are they supposed to say? I haven't. What are they supposed to say? Uh, a couple of weeks ago. Last August, what are the, how do you how do you come back with that? But Lanceman's party does have issues with who they've supported, how adamantly they've supported, and you can't have it both ways. I think there has been an element of the Conservative Party of Canada where they've rooted for chaos. I've used that phrase before. I think when schools opened here in the province, okay, some members of opposition parties also rooted for chaos. That'd be great to pin this on Stephen Lecce and Doug Ford. But guess what? Like last fall and like the fall before, schools opened. There were some Omicron cases. There were always going to be. And uh, we all just shrugged our shoulders and moved on. Okay? We were uh, some people in the early days were interviewing teachers sitting in cars and having a sick out or a protest or whatever they were doing. And then we just shrugged our shoulders and thought, eh, eh. Moved right, moved right on. Um, some Ottawa protesters did wave offensive flags. Some Ottawa protesters have made offensive signs. The CPC at some levels have supported those protesters. There you go, I suppose, if you're making the case that you're, uh, that, that Lanceman is making. But the Prime Minister of Canada has to be better, has to do better. 
and understand. He's just, he's dug so far into this from three weeks and a day ago where he referred, you know, again, sort of waved his hand and said, glibly, that fringe minority anti-science. There's plenty of vaccinated people out on the streets of Ottawa. Let's get that clear as well. There's plenty of people out there who are vaccinated, who made the choice to do what was best for their own health. And they got the jab. If you think everybody on the streets of Ottawa, you think every dude in a hot tub and everybody dancing to the DJ and everybody wandering around with signs and all of the truckers, you think 0% of the truckers in Ottawa are vaccinated? No, they're not. Of course, that's not true. But they're making the point that they're not sure it should be forced upon them, that they're not sure people should lose their livelihoods as a result of that. 289-975-1640 if you want to react to that. 289-975-1640. I know Shiva Siddiqui's got thoughts on it coming up in just a little bit. The revealing of donations to the convoy and campaign, I'm not sure where we're going with this one either. Um, there, there, obviously there was a GoFundMe. It ended up being shut down. I, there is a real fine line between being able to donate to a cause you believe in and the idea of donating to something that is dangerous. I don't believe that this is a terrorist group in Ottawa right now. They have, uh, a few of them have opinions that I don't agree with and you may not agree with, but as we've said a million times on Toronto today, whatever happened to the idea that out of 10 things, if you disagreed with somebody on one of the 10 or two of the 10, that you had to hate them and you wanted them to hate you. There's some things that the protesters say that I think resonates with Canadians. Um, Daniel Dale is a fact checker, right? For CNN used to be with the Toronto star. You'd know who Daniel Dale was. And he made the point that, uh, uh, Oh no, this is uh, absolutely wrong. That uh, people are, I'll give you the tweet. He said, anyone who's portraying these protests as a popular uprising, as various Fox shows have, is not being honest. And he makes the point that more than two-thirds strongly oppose the protesters' approach and behavior. Okay, but that's 64% of respondents. 33% say they're supportive. Do you know what 33% of Canadians adds up to an awful lot of people? In the millions, quite obviously. Um, you can have your perspective that it's time to go home. You've made your point. Leave the people of Ottawa alone. I, 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 by this point, I'm with you. I'm with you. But do I believe that the truck protest is almost universally people who are anti the vaccine? No. Are they all bigots? No. Are they intent on causing mayhem and destruction to the city of Ottawa? No. So, <laughs> there, I mean, Global News conducted this own survey. 59% of respondents agreed with this statement. The truck protest is mostly a group of anti-vaxxers and bigots intent on causing mayhem. And they should not be allowed to protest. That's our survey. And 59% of respondents agreed with it. But 41% said no. And I think that in itself ends up being significant. Remember also, uh, Twitter different universe. It's one thing to put your name, where you live, your friends see it, your, your coworkers see it, your colleagues, your employer, your business, uh, your customers see what you write. If you're a teacher, that's, that, that's risky as well uh, to get on and say, you know, I think they've got some good ideas here. I, I support some of what they're doing. So let's point that out as well. Like it may seem like on, on social media, 90% of the people think that these people are wacko jacko. It may seem that way, but polls tell you otherwise because people will speak more freely in a poll. Guess where people speak really freely? 
when they mark an X when they vote. <laughs> okay. So for Dan, by the way, for Daniel Dale, who's great. I mean, uh, no problems with Daniel Dale. Okay. If he notes that 32% think that the protesters are, are a selfish minority, that's about the amount of people who voted for Justin Trudeau. Okay. Which tells you again, when we've got a party system like this and five parties and six or six parties really that are clamoring for your vote, it's really tough. I don't know that we'll ever see a prime minister again in this country that gets more than 40% of the popular vote. But that's another story. Let's bring on the Ontario Liberal leader. Uh, he is, of course, Stephen Del Duca. Stephen, we forget the last five weeks of weather. We live here for a reason, right? Um, we love our province. We it's, we, we got to discount the weather sometimes, obviously. <laughs> sometimes, yes. Give me your sense uh, of, uh, you know, I know people talked about what the premier said the other day. You weighed in on it as well. He says we're, he used the phrase done with COVID. I, I, I didn't love um, some of the messaging of what he said. That's for sure. But I do think he speaks for a lot of people that say, I, I'm not done. I'm going to risk mitigate. I've got my shots, but I do want that pending sense of normalcy. I think he did echo the exhaustion that we all feel. How did all his comments, his sort of two-minute rant land for you? <clears throat> well, I think you're right that people are definitely exhausted. I think there's no doubt that people want this to be over. I think that Doug Ford should have been more responsible with the comments that he made and the way that he made them. How so? so? For example, yeah. Well, for sorry, for for example, what I mean is the way you just described it a second ago. You know, as a leader, to be able to say, "Look, I know we're all exhausted. I know we want this to be over. We are much closer to the end of this than we are the beginning of it. I know how hard everyone has sacrificed to get to this point. We are so close. We want this to be done. We can't give up right now. We can't stop. We can't surrender and go into that, as you put it, the risk mitigation." And I think instead, just by saying, uh, as he said the other day, nobody wants to wear these masks anymore. You know, we all want this to be over. I, you know, I, I'm not entirely certain that's the, the best way to frame it, especially given what we see happening right now in Ottawa and, and what was happening in Windsor. I think the timing is bad as well. Yeah, I didn't I didn't love the well, you can get one shots or 10 shots. You can still get covid. The distinction right. is the getting having three shots, especially for an adult. And, and we've talked about pediatric vaccines before having three shots like I have and you have is meant yeah. to prevent, you know, elements of a, of a severe outcome. It's meant to prevent you going to the hospital. The one thing I don't see on a lot of levels, uh, Stephen, is is the pushing, if you will, of the message out there in a positive way that uh, our seniors need to get boosted. We're still, we just seem to have hit this wall between two and three doses for way too many people over 60. Um, and, and I want that messaging out there a little bit more. And I don't know where else to go for it. I, I think people like me, maybe you as well, can only scream it to the, to the mountains so much. Well, here's a, you know, you're right about that, but here's a good example. You know, I, for, for some of your audience who might have seen it during the Super Bowl this past Sunday, there was a Government of Ontario ad that played. And, you know, that's not a cheap ad. And that ad uh, talked all about how great Ontario's economy is. And it almost looked like a Doug Ford pre-election ad from my perspective. But here's an interesting, here, here's an interesting idea. Perhaps the government should have actually used that time slot and that money and, and invested in uh, a, a bit of an ad campaign to boost confidence or to encourage people, be it people who are a bit older, like you talked about a second ago, mm -hmm. or some of the youngest Ontarians who are eligible, go get the vaccine. Like, again, we're so close to the, we're so close. We're almost there. 
See, the one thing that gives me the most concern, and I don't, I don't want to sound like a, I don't want to sound like a pessimist because you know I'm not, but because I think we're so close to the end of this, the only thing worse than taking a little bit longer to get to the end of this would be to take one big step forward, like we all want to, but then be dragged backwards because we missed something or because we were, you know, uh, I guess irresponsible a little bit more quickly than we should have been. And so I would have used that time slot if there was going to be ever any advertising at all. The push had a message to say, go, if you're older and you haven't gotten boosted, go get boosted. If you're eligible, mom and dad, if your kid is eligible mm-hmm. and you're comfortable, please go get the vaccine. And they didn't do it that way. That way, with this opportunity. Yeah, I, I am for that. I support that. Stephen Del Duca, Ontario Liberal leader, our guest on Toronto today with Greg Brady. Um, I, I, he did say the premier said we're, we're really divided. I I don't think we are. I think vaccination rates are high. I think most people understood maybe more than half of the restrictions that we've uh, had uh, upon us in the last twenty three months. But Stephen, I I think the January lockdown. I think the circuit breaker was um was a mistake. I think it was extremely costly. I think there was more learning loss for kids. I think businesses were uh, crushed again. People's mental health suffered. Um, and, and I think you're telling people that you're down on vaccines when they're fully vaccinated and you shut them out from simple things like like being able to go exercise. Uh, I mentioned the weather at the top and uh, what are we supposed to do? And, and you sports shut down as well. Again, when you look back a month ago, did the government get it right? Did we close down more than we should have? Uh, Look, I'm going to say that I don't think we closed down more than we should have. However, I will say, and I know this is not going to be a popular thing to say, I think waiting, I think waiting the extra couple of weeks probably made it a little bit tougher on us. So, for example, the science table, I think it was December 16th or 17th, said you're going to need a circuit breaker. And it wasn't until after uh, the Christmas break. It wasn't until the earlier part. Actually, I'm forgetting the date right now, but it was late December, I think. Mm -hmm. When, the, when when this latest round of restrictions came into effect and then, you know, lifted January 31st. I, I, I believe one of the lessons of COVID, and again, I know it's not popular, is that you have to make a tough decision quicker uh, and be stronger quicker to avoid having to do something that's even more disruptive a little bit later on. And so, I you know, Science Table said in the third week of December, I think they should have moved more quickly on some additional restrictions, which might have shortened the length of time that we needed had to have something shut down in January. Schools opened four weeks ago. Um, hospitalizations have plummeted. ICU beds yeah. also way down. How could someone make the case that schools are, are either unsafe or drivers of spread, given those numbers? Uh, you know, in what sense, though? Well, how could I mean, there was a lot of uh, discussion from uh, teachers suggesting it's an unsafe environment I'm going back into. Now, I would make the case in December there was some dithering from the Ford government. There's right. no question about that. I've been critical of that. We absolutely should have yeah. gotten tests where we needed to get to. We should have been providing teachers with proper PPE months ago. I got you there. But I, I, I saw a lot of people suggesting schools weren't safe. And I think we shrugged our shoulders and said, let's give it a go. I think we've had a successful run of this. Of course, there were going to be Omicron cases. Um, and of course, there were going to be people having to isolate. But I saw a lot of people saying oh, that were for schools closing down. And, and I wasn't. I thought they'd be OK. They have been. Yeah, no, I get, listen, I get your point. I spent some time in the earlier part of January. It was all virtual. 
doing some, um, I'll call them roundtables with parents. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was really interesting to see the range of opinions coming from moms and dads about whether their kids should be back or not back. And, you know, what was most evident to me in all of those discussions was the, the toll that this has taken on everybody's way of looking at the school system. Like I had parents that literally broke down in tears uh, during the during the virtual roundtables because they were extraordinarily concerned about, yes, the possibility of Omicron, Omicron kind of sort of ravaging the school system and, and putting their kids and others at risk, but just a general feeling like they'd been abandoned. And I, so I think that's part of it. I mean, part of the job of, of leaders is to make sure that you are making the investments in a responsible way so people do have the peace of mind. Now, I know I sound like a broken record on this, but for almost two years, I have been saying, as a dad who's got kids in the system, if you make the right investments and they're like significant enough, you're going to give parents that peace of mind. And I think that's one of the big missed opportunities during COVID. Mm-hmm. And that's what caused a lot of the anxiety to have people question, should the schools be open or not open? Of course, we all want the schools open, but you want your kids to be safe. And a lot of parents just didn't feel like that was the case. Uh, Nathan Stahl, Dr. Nathan Stahl, uh, really bright guy. He's running uh, for a seat in Queens Park, as, as are you. And he made the point, um, and I, I talked to him off the grid uh, a couple days ago. He made the point in a long Twitter thread, there's no public health benefit um, from moving forward with redefining the vaccine passport. Some of that's changed since you and I last spoke. Can you sure, can you yeah. clarify the Liberal Party's perspective on uh, not just vaccine passports and mandates, but we talked about changing the definition of fully vaccinated. Um, is this something that, uh, I'm not calling it a backpedal, but is this something that that because things have moved that you're, uh, you're willing to say two doses is, is fine, that's a fully vaccinated person? Well, I think the, the big difference between when you and I last spoke and where we are now is that is that the science tells us, as Nathan pointed out with that Twitter thread that you're referencing, that you know the circumstances have changed. And I think Omicron and the way that it went through the population has helped uh, well, has helped. It's a bizarre way to put it, but if you know what I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's helped change the circumstances for us. So when Nasi said, it, you know, there, there's no reason, not that there's no reason any longer to get a booster shot, but there's no reason to make that the same kind of requirement where earlier in January or in December, we all felt, including Nasi, that that would be the case. So that's, as I said, all the way through this entire ordeal, got to listen to the medical science. You have to listen to the advice that's given. And, uh, and we continue to do that. So when the science table, Dr. Moore, NASI are telling us there's an adjustment to be made, I believe in following that advice, which is why I did say the other day that I am comfortable with the restrictions starting to be lifted in Ontario a little bit quicker than it was originally scheduled. However, mm-hmm. we have to remain vigilant. We can't just throw in the towel and say, because we're lifting the restrictions, we're good to go, let her rip. And I am a little concerned that's where Doug Ford's head is at. I'm okay with the restrictions coming off a bit sooner. Let's just be vigilant. We don't mm-hmm. want to go backwards. Stephen Del Duke is our guest on Toronto today. You reference, um, and, and I agree, it's not great for the premier to say, as I said, you know, well, you can get one shot or 10 shot, you can still get COVID. Um, but you referenced yesterday via Twitter an anti-mask message. What is what uh, what is an anti-mask message? If If I think that it doesn't, you know, wearing a cloth mask to school doesn't do much for your kids or my kids in terms of um, stopping spread. Um, what's an anti-mask message? Well, I think in general, what we've seen over the last couple of days, and, and you, you you talked about it a second ago with his comments, like, 
we all want this to be over, him casting some very irresponsible, and him, I mean Doug Ford, irresponsible mm-hmm. doubt on whether or not to get the vaccines. Just the messaging in general, I'm going to tell you as well what we're seeing with a lot of key conservatives, people close to Doug Ford, being involved or supportive in a weird way of the Ottawa occupation or what happened at Windsor. I just think there's a lot of noise out there right now and not enough clarity coming from Doug Ford to say, look, we're going to lift the restrictions a bit earlier, which I think everybody is a little bit relieved about because we're so, so close to the end of this. But the masks, ideally the proper masks, like my kids go to school with N95s or KN95s. The school supplied some. We've supplied the others. Uh, I wear an N95. I mean, using the proper mask at this point in time, until we know for sure we've got the green light to be able to do things like take additional restrictions off, we have to be really strong on this stuff. Because, again, I I don't want to be dragged backwards. That would be soul-crushing for the people of Ontario. If we were so close and we had another bump in the road and another disruption, we cannot afford that. Oh, I, I, I hear that. The N95 is so good, though, it, it it protects you. There's a lot of people talking about one-way masking. So you're fully vaccinated. You're wearing an N95. That should make you, like, everything I'm reading from experts now, Stephen, is that should make you supremely confident that you're protected and and you shouldn't be terribly concerned if if you run into me indoors and I don't have a mask on. I'm not sure how you'd be affected if if I had a mask on or not. Yeah, well, look, I I still think the advice that we're supposed to be following is to make sure that everyone is wearing the masks indoors and following the other protocols that medical science are telling us to follow. Because after two years, to me, it makes, and, and everything we've all gone through, the sacrifice, tragic loss of life, livelihoods that have disappeared, to get this close to the end and start to say, we're going to throw in, we're going to, you know, we're going to throw in the towel. We're going to kind of surrender and see how it goes. But by some people not continuing to follow the rules, just, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Again, I just want to stress, we're so close. People have done so much to get us here, like real everyday people have. Mm-hmm. Let's just get to the end of this, declare a true and appropriate victory over COVID or moving to the next phase of COVID, like that endemic phase people talk about, and then build a new normal. That's what I want to see here in Ontario. Stephen Del Duca is Ontario Liberal Leader. I always enjoy our conversations, and you make time for our audience, and I appreciate that. Thank you so much for coming on today. My pleasure. You take care. I'm excited to talk to our next guest uh, about a lot of the issues that have happened in Ottawa, certainly over the last three weeks, amongst other things. He is the leader of the federal New Democratic Party. He is Jugmeet Singh. Jugmeet, it's great to have you on, as always. Thank you very much for making the time for our audience. Thanks so much. I'm excited to be here. If I told you three weeks ago, 21 days ago, we'd still be talking about what's happening in Ottawa. You knew there was uh, a pending protest. You knew there was a a convoy on the way. They were stopping in Toronto, actually, three weeks ago today. Um, What would your reaction have been three weeks weeks ago? Oh, I wouldn't believe it. There's no way. Everyone knew that this convoy was coming. They weren't hiding their goals. They had brazenly posted on websites that their goal was to undermine democracy. This is always about attacking our fundamental pillar of elected uh, system of government. That's what they wanted to do. They wanted to overthrow it. And they didn't hide that. That was their goal. And they had dangerous rhetoric. And I said that very early on. And I would never have believed that we would still be dealing with this convoy and the dangerous implications to people. And it would only get worse and that people would be losing thousands of hours of work because of blockages at borders. Uh, people would be stuck and out of work in the downtown core of Ottawa, the Rideau Centre, one of the busiest malls in downtown Ottawa. 
all shut down. Retail workers, young people who have got jobs or lost hours, and auto sector workers and manufacturing sector workers that were out of uh, out many hours of work. So this would never have been something I would have contemplated uh, weeks ago. The right to peacefully protest is something that we we hang our hats on as Canadians. All men and women do, and people have obviously gone to wars and fought for for principles and liberties like that. Where did where did it change in your mind from saying? Absolutely, you can gather. Absolutely, you can bring signs. Absolutely, you can say what you want to say to the point where where we're at now, where we think we need you know bigger and more complex solutions to solve it. Well, there's three specific things. Uh, one is that the organizers of this convoy were clearly from the beginning members of the extreme right wing uh, who intended to attack democracy and undermine the elected system. They they wanted to replace that with their own committee. That was one really big red flag. Secondly, they've targeted residents and people instead of government decisions and policies. And that's very unique. I've been to lots of protests. The protest goal is always to challenge the government's decision, whether in my case it was cutting healthcare funding or, or cutting services to people. The goal is always to target the government, rightly so. In this case, the residents of Ottawa were the target of the brunt of the, of the force. The honking and the fireworks at night were always after hours, well after anyone was in Parliament, and it was families, kids, people trying to go to work in Ottawa. Those are the ones that were impacted, uh, stopping the border and hurting truckers. I spoke with truckers that were stuck on the border for days in Coots, which is between Montana and Mm -hmm. Alberta, who couldn't get access to water or food because that border did not have that type of uh, facilities. They were stuck on the Ambassador Bridge, and I spoke to someone who needed access to his diabetes medication, planned to be back in the morning, was stuck on the bridge for the whole day, and he was struggling. So this is, this is very unique in that it was targeting people. And then finally, this is a well-organized and well-funded operation with lots of foreign interference. There's millions of dollars that have flowed into this convoy, and very clearly folks that want to undermine Canadian democracy. Jagmeet Singh is our guest on Toronto Today. I don't think it's call-out. i got to ask you practically, the municipal government, the Mayor Jim Watson, the police in Ottawa, uh, what have they, clearly there's been um, you know, uh, duties that haven't been fulfilled. There's chaos and disorder within the municipal government. What could they have done differently to protect Ottawa residents? Oh, it's abundantly clear that all levels of government have failed in, in dealing with this. And really their failure is to take it seriously. They just did not take this seriously. They didn't take the threat of the convoy seriously, the impact on people, the way it was going to hurt workers. They did not take that seriously. And we are in this position because of a failure to take this seriously, a failure to show leadership at all levels of government, certainly in the municipal included. They did not respond uh, appropriately. The police and the mayor um, failed. They failed the citizens of, of Ottawa. But certainly Doug Ford, provincially, and uh, Justin Trudeau all failed to take this seriously and respond with the, the type of response required early on within days of seeing how bad, in fact, before it even happened, we knew with the convoy coming to Ottawa, we knew their goals, we knew that it was going to be horrible, and I had been warning governments, mm-hmm. no one acted. You made clear, and, and I think it's right. I think it's accurate that who the organizers were and what their uh, what, what their you know what their you know no pun intended mandate was with them coming to Ottawa. Did have you seen in the last twenty one days that there are more people who may not align with that message, who may even be oblivious? That's the word I've heard used by a bunch of people in Ottawa towards that message. They may have voted for for you in the federal election. They may have voted for even Justin Trudeau, but and they may be vaccinated. They just are 
beyond frustrated with circumstance right now? Are there ordinary Canadians at these protests, Jugmeet, that that are not aligned with the organizers and their perspective? Well, I would go beyond that and say there's there's Canadians across this country who've gotten vaccinated, who've followed the public health measures, who are frustrated, and rightly so. People are angry that things have gotten worse, not better. They were angry that in the pandemic they see billionaires make out like bandits, but working class people struggle. It's harder to find a home to call your own, to put a roof over your head. It's harder to buy groceries. The cost of living is going up, and and they're seeing that it's harder to get access to healthcare because our healthcare system continues continues to be pushed to the limit and people have seen their healthcare procedures pushed back. I've known lots of people but knee replacements and hip replacements that have been delayed because of the crisis in our healthcare system. So yeah, there's a lot of legitimate frustration and anger there. The convoy though is very clearly uh, an organization that has made it so that their target are people, they're harassing citizens. I've spoken with residents of Ottawa, people that live in the community, spoken with university students. And this is not something I've ever heard of before, where, where regular folks are being harassed on the street. If you're wearing a mask, it's scary. Uh, healthcare workers were told not to wear their scrubs because this group, this convoy, yeah. is going to attack healthcare workers. So that's very different. And, you know, the idea that there might be one or two bad apples, there's a climate and a culture that made it so that people felt comfortable to bring in Nazi flags and to wear to have Confederate flags. That's a climate that is uh, inviting to these few folks. That is something that is culture that is established convoy wide. And of course, there might be people who don't know about it, but it's clear what the intent and what the intent and the purpose and the and the culture that's been created by this convoy is. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh, our guest on Toronto today with Greg Brady. Are you hopeful it ends peacefully? Are you worried that it won't? Both. Absolutely. I, I'm absolutely hopeful that this ends peacefully. I think that there are significant tools now for police to use to shut this down, uh, to shut down the funding and to take this seriously. And I hope it's hope that's the case. Uh, there are some legitimate fears, though, of violence. And we saw in the Coots border, there were, uh, and I don't know if this is reported well enough for folks to know, but there were significant weapons, uh, firearms, uh, ammunition, body armor that were found in some vehicles in the, in the Coots mm. Uh, convoy protests. So there is an intent here for violence. There's serious concern that there's weapons in the trucks that are all around Parliament today. I'm headed to Parliament right now, and Mm -hmm. there's a real concern that there is a threat of violence from these folks. You mentioned, uh, and and the word was for our audience, reluctantly, that you will support the Emergencies Act uh, that the Prime Minister introduced on uh, Monday afternoon. You'll You'll support it reluctantly. Um, expand on that if you can for our audience, and and what is your reluctance in uh, in doing so? Well, this is this is something that I don't I don't take lightly. It, it's something very serious. Uh, enacting the Emergency Act is serious. Uh, it's nothing like the War Measures Act. It doesn't have uh, any powers related to the military. It's very limited in scope, but it's still quite serious. And I don't I take any joy or any glee or any excitement in enacting something so serious. So I'm reluctant to do so. And it should never have got to this. I think that if, if different levels of government had taken this seriously early on, we would not be in this position. I firmly believe that. But at this point, given how serious it is, and given that the failure of leadership was to take it seriously, it has to be taken seriously now. That's why I'm reluctantly supporting this motion. Uh, and I'm going to be very vigilant to withdraw our support. We, we have uh, 25 MPs. It takes 20 MP signature to trigger a vote that could revoke the Emergencies Act. So we're prepared, we're prepared, and we've told the government we're going to be prepared to do that if at any point in time we think this is not being used appropriately 
for the intended goal of stopping the convoy. And if there's any moment where there's overreach uh, beyond that goal or in a way that limits a legitimate legal protest, we will revoke. Is is the um, is the look into, especially for Give, Send, send Go, because GoFundMe was one thing, it was shut down, and I know you've spoken on this before, but is the look into who donated money in, in the Give, Send, Go uh, page, um, is that is that something you're watching really closely? I, it, it's one thing to send, you know, 50 bucks to a cause that, that uh, I might believe in that you don't, or vice versa. I'm not sure people should be you know, uh, doxxed, if you will, lose their livelihood, lose their job. But I also am well aware that, yes, for for um, for nefarious purposes, all of those things have to be monitored. How closely is the NDP looking at that? That's seen by many Canadians as a as a as a potential overreach over the next several days. Yeah, the main focus in my mind should be the the stopping of the flow of funds. Uh, to, to this convoy. Just to put it in perspective, there are millions of dollars of funds that have been raised for for this convoy. And that is a part of the reason why it's able to to reach so wide and so far and to be able to shut down bridges and to be so organized. So stopping the money is vital and investigating the foreign influence. There There's significant, massive donors that come from the United States and people with the intended goal of disrupting Canada. They want to see Canada and, and our, our, our way of life here in terms of our universal health care and our social services, uh, a lot of Republicans don't like that. They want to show that they can, they can disrupt or, or cause problems mm-hmm. for, for Canada. So it's, it's clear that there is a, a foreign influence, an American influence, and that it's, uh, it's insidious. The goal is to disrupt and to cause problems for Canada's democracy. And so those are things that we really want to see investigation. We want to understand where that, that, that's what those funds are coming from, and, and there's going to be a deeper inquiry into this. But we don't want to see people doxxed, absolutely not. If someone uh, made a small donation, uh, the funds should be stopped. The funds should not make it to the convoy. But people mm-hmm. like that shouldn't be investigated or, or arrested for something of that nature. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh, our guest. Um, lastly, Prime Minister Trudeau sparked some outrage yesterday in the House of Commons um, when he accused Melissa Lantzman, a Jewish Conservative Party member, of, quote, supporting people who wave swastikas. How'd the exchange uh, land for you? Uh, you know what? I, I not want to support uh, uh, when Trudeau makes a bad decision. I'm, I'm be very critical. I've said that he's failed in his leadership. We shouldn't have got to this point in the, in the pandemic. Uh, but the facts are that conservatives stood with, with Nazi flags. There's videos of, of conservative MPs, given a, one particularly giving an interview with a swastika flag in the background. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of a fact. That's, that's what happened. And they've gone out and supported this convoy where Confederate flags and Nazi flags have been welcomed. They've been, they've been many of them have been waving um, regularly. And so it's a fact that conservatives have stood with, with this convoy. And this convoy has had lots of hate symbols, lots of anti-Semitic, lots of anti-Muslim, lots of uh, just just um, anti-people uh, type of uh, type of uh, flags. It's a uh, it's such tricky territory, right? I know you're looking to you know. I know you're looking to where House of Commons doesn't sound like it's, uh, you know, it, it's 100 people at a crowded bar. I mean, you could barely hear the exchange because of all the verbal outrage. I know that doesn't serve Canadians well, does it? It doesn't serve elected MPs well that there isn't more of a of a civil discourse. How do we get back to that? Uh, that's a, it's an important point. I, I do believe that we can, we should be able to disagree respectfully and that we need to bring down tensions. 
a part of what's going on. And uh, one of my biggest concerns is that the reality is both the, the liberals and the conservatives have tried to politicize the pandemic. They've both tried to make vaccines and mask a political ideology rather than just good public health care. And that has been a serious problem. So I've been calling for this, that this should not be a politicized issue. We should be listening to the same people that if any of us, uh, you know, God forbid, if any of us get sick, if our loved ones get sick, the people that we would go to for help, the people that we would go to for advice are telling us it's important to get vaccinated and to follow certain public health measures. We should be following that because it makes sense to listen to the experts and not because it's going to score us political points. And that's what I'm hoping to, to do is to take away this, this political argument around healthcare and around things like uh, public health measures. Jagmeet Singh is the leader of the federal NDP joining us on Toronto today. Thank you very much for your time. I always appreciate our conversations and, and you, uh, you take care. Be well. Thanks so much. Appreciate the time. Emma Titles, a city columnist for the Toronto Star. So you've got a child under five. You wrote about this in the Star. How would you say your perspective is? How would you say her perspective is? I think that my daughter's fine. Like she doesn't know any other world. She's not, she's not at the age yet where she's had to have all these bizarre interactions and go to school with a mask on. Like she's, she's only 18 months. Right. So her life's great. It's, it's more for us, for a lot of the parents who've had COVID babies, like that's our only parenting experiences in the pandemic. So it's, we're, yeah, it's a very strange experience and we're just, we really want to, open our kids up to the world. But at the same time, we've never lived in a world without this fear and this anxiety around COVID. So it's a very strange line to walk. Emma Titles, our guest from the Toronto Star on Toronto Today on 640 Toronto. When the when the passports and mandates came in in August and September, um, I I was all for it. Absolutely. Because I thought we're going to hit a little. I remember talking to Joe Cressy about this and I said, Joe, we're going to hit a little bit of a wall here with adult vaccinations and the passports i thought would do two things they push us over that wall and boost numbers and at that time that was really important the more vaccinated people the better i mean we'd still feel that way i'd still say that um even post uh, post in the at, the at the end stages of omicron's wave and if you will but i also thought it creates more consumer confidence my parents are in their 70s and they said you know we, we only want to be around fully vaccinated people we only want to go here if if they're checking for that. And, um, but I, it's a weird one. I, I, yeah, I had, when the premier sort of said, everything's gone, I sort of was like, I don't know how that's going to land for consumer confidence. Um, how did, how did sort of that, that juxtapose go for you in the fall where you thought, well, this is important. We do need to push, push the numbers um, to make people feel better and make people feel confident again, to go to a movie or, or, or ride the go train or things like that. Yeah, I was all for it at the beginning. And I mean, it definitely made me and and many of my peers feel more comfortable bringing our toddlers or babies places just knowing and this was also pre omicron so mm-hmm. um there was more evidence that you know it it actually helped to curb transmission at the time it it's just i think now i i agree with scientists when they say it's sort of it does, no longer serves its purpose as a two-dose requirement because of what we know about Omicron. However, it definitely psychologically, um, and that's not an argument to keep it, that because I'm nervous, but it's a psychological mm-hmm. difference that, you know, 
it does feel strange being in a place with when when a, a member of your household, a, ba a baby or a child is unvaccinated and it seems like these restrictions are being lifted and it does feel like the world is kind of moving on without you. Yeah, it's uh, I, there's I know we all have. Look, I think there's not there's rational and irrational concerns. This one is rational to me because I think about things I won't do. I I won't ever jump out of an airplane and someone might say, well, your parachute will work. And I'm like, yeah, that's what the percentages say. But what if mine doesn't? I mean, let's face it, when we all get into, you know, late teens in university and we start having partners, right? We say, well, you know, what are the odds of of getting pregnant? What are the odds of this? And we we play with those odds. But some people are like, nah, that'll be me that, you know, and yeah. and I think there's I think every parent I relate to. So when I bring up those two things anyway, that we all live through and all our listeners did too. And we say, these are the rational things I will do, but these are the, you know, these are the things that affect me psychologically. I'm with you. I'm with you a hundred percent that it's, it's really difficult. And, and I could show you any number, any graph, any chart, but, but there are some that the right there are. And I feel that way about boosting my teenage boys. I'm, I've got legitimate questions and that's not something I'm ready to do yet. I asked me later in the summer or fall. So it's a weird one, right? We all have these things in our in our brain, but they're real and, and they matter. Yeah, totally. I think it's it's for parents of unvaccinated kids. It's just about weighing those risks with whatever negatives come from isolation. And I think for us, we started to think my mom basically took my daughter to the mall once recently. Mm -hmm. um, and she said, that she was really freaked out at first because she had never been in a big space like that. She's a pandemic baby. And I think hearing that it freaked me out. And I was like, I don't want my kid to be scared of people and scared of, of big spaces. So we've started doing little things, taking her here and there. I know my brother's been taking his daughter to the science center. Like, so I wonder if, if the, removal of the vax passport will will have some parents scale that back i don't think it will for us because we feel the benefits outweigh the risks at this point but mm. i just hope the vax is approved for the little kids soon yeah there is that i wonder if, the, if that frustration echoes you, you probably have people in your peer group and i sure did that uh were of the uh of, of the astrazeneca uh group in the spring and it was maddeningly frustrating for the sliding scale of it. Well, it works for this age group, but not this age group. Well, what should I do with my second dose? Will I be able to do this and do that um, once once the, the past once vaccine mandates are in place? And this is almost another layer of that. There's a lot of parents probably who, who did have to get AstraZeneca or felt they should at the time. And now people are doing it, this, you know, for their offspring. Um, there's a lot of information back and forth with the, with Pfizer and, and U.S. approval. And it's uh, it hasn't been easy, hasn't. No, I mean, for me, I'm just extremely pro-vax. Like, I, mm -hmm. I, you know, I have, I don't really have any fears about that. But I know that the back and forth between the FDA and Pfizer, and I think it's going to make a lot of people more hesitant who are already nervous about vaccinating little kids. But uh, yeah, I hope that at this point, I mean, it's it's hard to convince people, and I, I just, I just want to get my kid vaccinated for sure and do you look at the big picture of the province doing what they're doing and say and many other provinces doing what they're doing and we can say you know and and we can say well there's an election coming up so there's a lot of there's a lot of posturing on on all sides of the political fence or do you look and say 
the protesters that went to Ottawa, I mean, three weeks ago now, um, they they had an influence and they got what they wanted and they they puffed their chest out a little bit. I mean, you made you make reference slightly to it in the column, but I don't know how they don't feel emboldened by watching what the pro whether the whether they're getting any action from the prime minister or not it's debatable. Um, but I think they're watching their own individual provinces react and, and those provinces might be saying, we don't want you on the streets of Toronto. We don't want want you in, in Quebec City and we don't want you in um, in, in, you know, in, Sas- in in Saskatchewan cities either. I think the truth is somewhere in the middle that, of course, we were headed towards lifting of restrictions regardless. But of course, these protesters are going to try and take credit for any restrictions that are lifted for any mm. any minds changed in government or or on the science table. And I think that when it comes to Premier Ford, I think there is some political posturing there. Um, I really take issue with his comments about our society being divided because I truly do not believe that is the case. I mean, Toronto, the city in which the premier lives is a great example of that where our vaccination rates are extremely high, some of the highest in the world. And I really don't think we are so divided. I think most people agree, you know, we're on board with restrictions that's changing, but mm-hmm. it's not with, when it comes to vaccinations, overwhelming support. I, I think that, um, that that's something I really take issue with. And I think that's one way in which he's, he's sort of posturing and, and using the protests to make his decision appear more popular than it may be. Yeah, there's an element of that. And and I see I see somebody that is sort of, um, you know, and, and I, I know we always accuse politicians of pandering, but they they pander and, and there's a pandering to, a, you know, I think he looks and says um, an, an anti vaccine movement or those that just have decided to choose not to whether they believe in, in bodily autonomy or what it is. I want those votes. And I worry that the other parties look and say, those that want restrictions even tighter than the ones um, Doug Ford has had on us in January, they want those votes. So it's it's tricky. Like we're all you know, we're all political animals at the end of the day that enjoy this stuff and enjoy covering this stuff. But but it's patently obvious there's been there's been an election, especially with schools. I mean, there's been an election campaign on the way on ongoing in our province for a lot more than four months. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, but even today, John Tory said something that was much more measured than than Ford, but also indicating that that the pandemic is kind of over. He said we're on the other side of it, mm-hmm. um, which I, I thought was unusual for him to be so um, so blunt about something very complex that he's been. You know, he's usually known to be a little bit vague, and so oh, they, I, they, they canceled Halloween in. Uh- <laughs> You know, he, he can't. How many mayors canceled Halloween in their cities in October 2020? He did that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that the the tone is definitely changing, even with leaders mm-hmm. like Tory, who are usually more vague into sort of saying that we're on it's it's over shows over <laughs> or and I hope it is, but I don't think so. Yeah, there's uh, there's time left. Um, it's a great read in the Toronto Star. Emma title from uh, from the Toronto Star City Columns. It's great having you on Toronto today. I'm always pleased that you make time for our audience. Thanks again. Thanks, Greg.
Thanks very much for listening to Toronto Today. Feel free to subscribe where you heard this and do spread the word about our show. We'll be back with a live show tomorrow to finish up the week between 5.30 and 9 a.m.